So we're, we're moving on through the book of Mark. If you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're, we're nearing the end of Mark chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 32 today. So Mark 10, 32 is where we're going to be starting at. And today we're going to talk about um, what it is that's the main hindrance to the servant lifestyle. Right? Jesus consistently modeled service and serving other people and putting other people first. Um, and we're going to look at what's the main hindrance What's the thing that stops uh, myself? What's the thing that probably stops you um, from diving in and serving more faithfully, more fervently than maybe you, you have been or maybe, maybe, maybe you should? And this is what it says, starting in uh, chapter 10, verse 32. It says, And they, that's Jesus and the disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And as Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they'll mock him, and they'll spit on him, and they'll flog him, and they'll kill him, and after three days he will rise. So Jesus begins... In What's going on right now, if you're, we've been going through the story at a pace that you may have lost track of where we're at, but um, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's been heading there for four chapters right now, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he's been predicting what's going to happen. This is the third time Jesus has told his disciples what's going to happen when they get where they're going, right? When we're done with the travels uh, going throughout Galilee, as we're done with the travels as we head up the road to Jerusalem, when we get there, things are going to get hairy, right? I'm going to be delivered over. I'm going to be crucified. I don't necessarily say crucified here, but I'm going to be flogged and beaten and killed and I'll rise again. He tells them this. this is the third and final time that he's going to tell them this before it happens. In next chapter, yes, next chapter, um, Jesus enters into Jerusalem as a king. And so what's going on is Jesus has this entourage of people. And I kind of think of it like, um, the movie Aladdin, I know there's a new Aladdin out, and I haven't seen it yet, so I can't speak to, to whether or not they do this the same as the cartoon version. But, you know, when, when there's a suitor coming to see Princess Jasmine, right, and they have this whole, like, big old long train of people coming in, and there's hundreds of thousands of people following around the, the prince who's going to go try to marry the princess. That's what's kind of happening with Jesus. Everywhere he goes, kind of people latch on to him. And so what started as a group of 12 people... Uh, with the disciples, has swelled to this massive group so that when he enters into Jerusalem, that's why the triumphal intro, that's why Palm Sunday happens the way it does, because there's already a mob of people there, and as he enters into Jerusalem, they're crowning him king because they think that this guy who's able to heal the deaf and make the blind see again and raise the dead back to life, that this guy is going to be the king. And everyone has their own anticipation for Jesus. Everyone has their own thoughts for Jesus. And so he's got this gigantic entourage, but he consistently tells his disciples, what you think is going to happen isn't going to happen. And no matter how many times he tells them this, they never get it. This, this is good for us because, you know, no matter how many times like we, we, we fall into the same sort of temptation, trial, sin, Right? And we read over and over again in God's word that this isn't the way it's supposed to be, yet we find ourselves somewhere else. Guys, we're, we're, we're dumb. Right? The disciples were dumb. They were short-sighted. They couldn't make out what the truth was. And we're kind of like them. Right? God tells us over and over again um, what we're going to experience in this life, which is trouble and trials and hardships, but somehow we believe that we're going to avoid 
those things. God tells us over and over again what he expects of us, and then we get punished when we fail to meet up to those things, and we wonder what's going on with us. The disciples couldn't ever grab on to what was going to happen to Jesus. That's why he kept telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be uh, executed. There's going to be a beating and and a total reviling of who I am, and it's coming soon. And Jesus is laying out an example uh, uh, of what service is going to look like. You know, the greatest service to mankind that ever happened was what Jesus was predicting at the beginning of this passage here. That God would come down to earth, that he would take on human flesh, and that he would serve you and he would serve me by taking our sin upon himself and letting himself be executed for our, our sake. Guys, that is the greatest service that any man has ever done for anyone else in the world. And if you've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ, if you've come to God uh, by faith and experienced what it means to enter into a relationship with Him, you should not lose a moment right, uh, of time to celebrate how good God is to you because He served you so fully in Himself. Right? He went to the ends of Himself to serve you where you were. And so Jesus is telling them, look, We're going to go, and I'm going to perform this amazingly difficult thing. And at the end of it, I'm going to rise. If the story doesn't end negatively, I will rise again, and there will be a resurrection. They still don't get it. And so immediately after he does this, uh, we have this story in verse 35. And it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. This is a question I get sometimes from my children. They say, Dad... Uh, will you do something for me? And I say, what is it? Right? I never say yes because I don't want to obligate myself to that. Right? Hey, can you do me a favor? Well, what is the favor you want me to do? Because I don't want to say, yes, I'll do you a favor. And you say, hey, can you drive me to, you know, to, to, to Juno today? Like, I don't want to drive to Juno today. That's a little bit of time in my car, right? I'm not that eager to drive across Canada, right? Like, like. So, so I want to know what the favor is. But these guys come up to Jesus, the Son of God. They've been with him for a long time. These are two of his three closest disciples. These were two of the guys who are on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. They come to him and say, hey, uh, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And basically what they're saying is, hey, we've been with you for a while. We've walked with you. We're tight with you. We're close with you. So we want, we want to get in on a little bit of favor with you. Right? We've put in the time. Now we want you to give back to us Something And so Jesus asked them, right, he says in verse 36, what do you want me to do for you? And they responded to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And these guys are in the middle of that entourage, you know, a thousand people or so walking up to Jerusalem, taking the path to Jerusalem. And there's this huge crowd of people and they go up to Jesus who is about to be inaugurated as king, right? As soon as he enters into Jesus, they're calling him the, the king, right? Hey, hail to the king as he walks in. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, right? He is going to be the king of Jerusalem for about three days, right? It's not a very long reign that he gets on earth. But he, he's going to be king, and they come to him and say, look, we've got a whole crowd of people following you. We're almost to the destination where we're going to be, and now they're, they're starting to jockey for position in the administration, Right? They're like, we, we want to have a seat right there with you at the table. Like, you're in charge, we're cool with you being in charge, but I want to be your right-hand man, and he'll be your left-hand man, and then like everyone else can figure out where they're going to be, but we've been with you this whole time. And I know there's a thousand people here, and I know there's a lot of other, like these other like 
10 guys who've been with you for a while, but one of them seems kind of beady-eyed, shifty, that Judas guy. I'm not really sure about him. But, you know, like these guys, they may want a seat with you too, but, man, we've been with you. Can we have a seat with you when you take over? When you get to your glory, when you get put up in a, in a throne in royal splendor and majesty, and you've got a robe and a crown and people are bowing down to you, can we be on the stage beside you? See, they don't have it right. Right? Jesus just told them, I'm going to come and I'm going to die. I'm going I'm to literally give my life up. And it's going to be humiliating. And it's not like a normal death, right? It's not like he was walking down the road and got run over by a herd of donkeys, right? It's a, it's a humiliating death where he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be um, abused and mistreated and publicly scorned. Right? He's been telling them, this is where it's going. This isn't going to be a random you know, cardiac event that, that takes me away. I'm going to experience total betrayal and total humiliation. And I'm doing it for your sake. I'm still going to Jerusalem, even though that's what's coming for me, because I care about you. And they don't understand that Jesus is modeling ultimate service. And so their whole attitude, the thing that stops them from grabbing onto this service mindset, is the same thing that grabs onto me to stop me from seeing what service looks like, is they are self-serving. Right? What they're looking out for is their piece of the pie. How can I get the most that I can, the absolute greatest bit of power and authority or wealth or whatever it is on this side? Because if I can get it on this side, then I'll be happy. Right? And we've been, we've been sold this lie. It's sold to us every day when we watch television. It's sold to us on every billboard we go by and every store we walk into. That you, if you take care of yourself, if you look out for your interest, if you hold out to make yourself the most important person in your life, then you'll be happy, right? It's the you deserve a donut syndrome, right? I love that somehow donut shops have made that their boxes. I don't think the donut palace has because they love Jesus. So I'm not sure about that either. But, 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 but you know, like, like they say, you deserve a donut, Right, and, I'm, and I've already said this, right? But like, no, you don't deserve it. You deserve death and hell, right? That's what you deserve, but you're about to get it on it. But we're told everywhere, you deserve this. Go get this. You know, Sprite's the theme for years and years and years was obey your thirst, right? Get yourself. Have it your way, Burger King, right? Every company wants you to make yourself the king of your life. And Jesus has consistently told his disciples, make other people the most important things in your life. Serve other people. Give your life away for the sake of other people. But there's a lie that's as old as time that says you are all that matters. It's the same lie that the snake told to Eve in the garden. Right? She, she looks at the fruit that the snake... By the way, if you're ever talking to a snake, just stop. Just stop. But she's talking to the snake... And the snake's like, hey, why don't you eat some of this? And she's like, oh, no, we can't eat that. God says we can't eat that. If we eat it, we're going to die. And the snake says, really? Because I'm pretty sure what's going to happen if you eat that is you're going to be like God. If you eat that, your eyes will be opened. and You'll be knowing good from evil. And you yourself will be like God. And, and, and she, he pours into, Satan pours into Eve this lie. Right, That if you'll take care of yourself, 
you'll take care of yourself, you'll be happier than if you let God take care of you. And that lie that says you can take better care of yourself than the Almighty God can take care of you is as old as time, and it's still the lie told today. Guys, I, I don't know how to be clear to you. I don't know how to tell you this in a clearer way, but, but your best efforts at living your best life will always be empty. They may be pleasurable for a day. They may be pleasurable for a week. They may even be pleasurable for a year, but it will end in emptiness because you don't know what you need. You don't. You don't understand what you need. Right? I don't because I, I have thoughts about what I need and what's best, and I have to constantly remind myself that I don't live at the pleasure of Matt Higginbotham. Right? I have six children. Dear Lord. You know, I had three children when I got here four years ago. What did y'all do to me? <laughs> I have six children. I love every child I have. You know, my life is totally dedicated to them and to my wife. You know, it's, it, 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 and that's the, when, when I'm doing it right. It's not always that way. Because sometimes I do it wrong. And sometimes I'm grumpy and grouchy and I'm bossy and it's about me. But when things are good, my whole life is poured into other people. Now, I have a herd of other people I can pour my life into. Some of y'all are un unfortunate and you've only got a couple people that you can pour your life into. But man, I got a herd. My whole life is tied up with them. And, and, and you know, the times that I experience what I would consider to be joy, contentment, the thing that we long for that we're, this world is so fleeting that you never really grab onto. The times when I experience real joy and contentment is when I live my life dedicated to those people God's put in my life. When I serve you, my church, faithfully and fervently without any self-interest, that's when God blesses me with, with what I need, which is this godly contentment that rests beneath the surface. So James and John come to Jesus and say, give us seats at the table, and Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And he asked them a couple of questions to kind of probe into them. He says, look, are you able, uh, you don't know what you're asking, verse 38, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized? And, and of course they respond, yeah, we're able to do that, Jesus. Yeah, we'll do whatever we need to do. Just give us the seat at the table. We can do it. And Jesus responds to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I'm baptized, you'll be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand, uh, is not uh, for my, me to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. Right? And Jesus says, look, you know, the people are going to be sitting at my right and my left hand. Like, I, I'm not even going to make that decision. Right? There's been prepared before time, there's people who are going to be sitting in those seats. And it's probably not the two guys angling for, when I was talking through this with, with the guys I worked through sermons with, you know, one of the things that I said was, who are these people? You know, who are these people who has been prepared ahead of time for? That would be like uh, hanging out with Jesus in his glory. And we know Jesus' glory isn't the coming, first coming in Jerusalem. It's the second coming that we're, we're longing for that's going to come around the bend on the other side with the new heaven and the new earth. I said, who are these people? And you know, the truth is you will probably never know who these people are on earth because they live totally for someone else. They do not have a strong social media presence. 
Right here we are today. If, you, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, you know, and you do something, you're like, look at me. Like, hey, I went and organized stuff at Place of Hope. And you take a picture with yourself, you know, like this. Right? Always high so you get the good angle on your face with the thing behind you. Right? And so you take your selfie with yourself working, you know, organizing diapers at Place of Hope. You know, because and, and, we feel good when we do it, and then we put it on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is that you're on right now, or maybe you just send it to all your family, right? And you take the picture because you want other people to know, I'm doing good stuff, guys. And, and kind of shame them, too. Like, why aren't you doing something good today, right? I know you're sitting around reading my Facebook feed. Why aren't you doing something better than that today? And the danger with social media, the danger with, uh, with, with all of that stuff is the same danger that Jesus talks about later on. He says, you know, when you give a gift, give in such a way that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand does. Right? So when you do an act of service, when you, when you help someone, when you work, work with someone, and you, you struggle through things with someone, you know, you don't make a big show of it. Because when you make a big show of it, whatever you get, you know, the 48 likes you got on that, right, or the three shares you got, like, that's your reward. That's all you got. The, the people who are going to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus, they're not, they're not pubbing everything they're doing on Facebook. They're just serving day by day the people that come into their lives. Right? They're going to be moderately unknown aside from the people whose life they changed because they came in and they gave of themselves sacrificially to them. And so the other ten guys hear what James and John are talking about and they become indignant. Now, I don't know if they're indignant because they didn't think to ask Jesus first or if they're indignant because they think that it's an inappropriate question. But either way, either way they, become, they become indignant at James and John. And verse 42 says, Jesus called to them, and he takes an opportunity to teach them about service. And he says this, he says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus ends this time with his disciples. So he tells them at the beginning, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified, to be handed over, to be mocked, to be killed. I'm going over there because I'm doing this for your good. And then immediately his, his two closest disciples come to him and say, Hey, can we get a piece of the pie, that self-serving attitude that you deal with and I deal with on a day-by-day basis about making our names great? And Jesus says, that's not the way things are going to work out. And then he pulls the disciples together. And he says, guys, I want you to understand that God's kingdom is not like this one. He says, the pagans, the Gentiles, the people who are running the show right now around here love to exercise authority. They love to be in charge. They love to chair committees. They love to run politics. They love to be the people calling the shots. That's dangerous for a church, by the way. I'm thankful for this church. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like our church is pretty healthy. I think I would know if it's not healthy, um, but I feel like our church is fairly healthy. We don't have a whole lot of people looking to build little kingdoms inside of this church to call all the shots and to control all the things. At least that hasn't been my experience up to this point here. And I'm thankful for that. I mean, that's not true of a lot of churches. It's not. People build their little kingdoms and they love to exercise their little bits of authority. They're just little petty pontiffs, right? Just little, little tyrants running around in their little kingdom. It's like the guys running the HOAs, right? We don't have HOAs here, but guys, they're, they're awful. 
Um, <laughs> right? I mean, it, it's, a, it's weird to see churches driven apart by things like that. And I've seen, I've seen it at churches that I love. I've seen it at churches that I'm just familiar with some ministers um, who've been at these places. Guys, it's a dangerous thing, but, but we would learn a lot if we would just sit on the teaching that Jesus has about service. Right? It's not about authority. It's not about who's in charge. It's not about who's calling shots. It's not about being the one to call the shots because really that's not healthy for anybody. No, no real greatness in God's kingdom comes from great service. And great service doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like this amazingly huge act. Like I'm going to save up all my money and then I'm going to take a $40,000 trip and I'm going to go to Burma or Myanmar, I guess now. And I'm going to go there and I'm going to live the rest of my life there. And I'm going to win that country to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do this uh, with this great act of service. Now that's a big deal, and if you feel called to the you know, Burmese people, God bless you, go, serve, just do what God has called you to do. But really, great service is daily dying to self and living for others. Father's great service, great service is putting your needs underneath the needs of your wife and the needs of your children. Right, it, like today's Father's Day. Uh, congratulations, men. Um, and I gave my wife a hard time last week from the stage because today, uh, after I'm done here, I'm going to go home and change clothes, and I'm going to go to the Milam Community Theater place, and I'm going to put together a set because uh, my wife has a big theater camp thing going on next week, right, on Father's Day, right? So why am I doing this and not going home and taking a nap? Because she asked me, if I would go home and take a nap instead. And if you know me about Sunday afternoons, the answer should be yes on that. I would much prefer to be taking a nap. The reason I am going there, though, is because my wife needs me. And she's precious to me. And so I hold her up and I say, baby, I will do whatever I can to make your life better. I serve her on a day that people say is supposed to be about me. Does that make me better than you? Yes. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, guys, I'm just giving you an example. It's not, a, it's not a huge sacrifice. It's a small thing. But you do these small things day by day. Men, you do these small things day by day for your wife. Your wife will love you. When we don't do those things, she hates you. We don't want to be hated, so let's, let's do the other way. Ladies, it's the same deal. Daily putting your needs... Uh, you know, subverting your needs. That's not the word I'm looking for. Uh, whatever. Putting your needs underneath the needs of your husband and your children. All right, we serve one another because Christ served us. And the ultimate example is what Jesus ends with in verse 45, right? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Guys, we live on this earth not to serve ourselves, but to serve other people. And if you're, a, if you're, a, if you're in a family today, if you have a house full of people, you have a, an easy access to people you can serve. And you can look out for their needs moment by moment, day by day. Now, some of you are living alone now. You've, 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 you've gone through that, and you're on the other side of that. So then you have to find other places for service. There's needs all over the place. I'm going to tell you some needs here. First Baptist Church, Rockdale. Because um, this is a place where we care for the community. 
Um, I mentioned in announcements that we're going to have a meeting next week. We're going to have a meeting to talk about Feed Rockdale. And the reason we do Feed Rockdale isn't because uh, Matt's got nothing else to do in the middle of the summer. Right? It's not because, you know, there's, there's, we, we want to get our name in the paper. The reason we do Feed Rockdale is because we want to serve our community in a real and tangible way. And there's like seven unique jobs inside of the Feed Rockdale program. And some of those will require you to be there Monday through Thursday for specific hours. Some of them won't. Some of them will require you to take some time randomly throughout your week to figure out how to help organize and administrate some stuff. But there's a spot for you there to serve, to serve this church and to serve this community that God has put you in. And I want to challenge you. I want to ask you, consider that seriously. You know, it was, a, it was a blessing last year. I didn't know how much I would enjoy this program, doing it day over day. Um, but one of the things I enjoyed the most was, was working alongside of my fellow people, right, and serving alongside of them. And so I got to go on routes with people and drive with people and keep people from wrecking their cars into exhaust pipes and all sorts of other things, Dolores. So, um, <laughs> you know, but it was, it was tremendous to be able to be a part of what was going on. And then to have what I had, and I mentioned it last week, but to have a vacation Bible school parent come to me and say, as a grandparent, I guess, and say, look, what your church is doing for this community is tremendous, and I'm so thankful for y'all. And I tell everyone I know about y'all because y'all care about us. Guys, that's the reputation that we need to have. But you have to own your part of that. You've got a piece to play in that, and it's bigger than Feed Rockdale, but we have a big opportunity. We have a ton of holes uh, that we can do. It can go to youth camp. You know, I, I kind of joke about taking a week of vacation to Highland Lakes, but really youth camp is a transformative experience in the lives of teenagers. Every single youth camp I've been to, and I have been to 20 probably youth camps over the course of my time in ministry, every single time I've gone, I've seen students' lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen kids who have been far from God come back to God. I've seen kids who've never known anything about Jesus Christ be introduced to the concept of grace and fall in love with that. You have an opportunity to take part in that. Now, I know that takes a specific person who's got specific time off midweek, right? That's for those of you working nine to five, that's tough. But there's people in here who might have that opportunity. There's an opportunity to serve. And and who are you serving? You're serving a bunch of, like, if you're going to youth camp, you're serving, like, the stinkiest people on earth. If you're going to preaching camp, you're serving the neediest people on earth. I mean, it's rough. It's rough, but it is so tremendously rewarding. You'll make memories that will last, and you'll impact people in a positive way. As if you're interested in that, we're not having a big meeting, but Eric would love nothing more than to have 10 people come to him after the service and say, I want in on that. I won't pay for all 10 of you, okay, but we'll figure it out from there. There's opportunities to serve in this church. So if you're living at home and you're looking for ways to get involved, Place of Hope, a ministry that we support uh, right now. Uh, I mean, ladies, more, more, more likely ladies, but men, I'm sure there's a spot you can serve as well. But ladies, there's, there's an opportunity for you there to help other ladies who are in difficult situations. Poverty and pregnancy is a difficult place to be. Right? It's tough for us to imagine sometimes, right, to be dirt poor and pregnant at the same time. Um, 
but it's a difficult place to be. And the consideration of should I keep the child or not keep the child is a valid consideration for these ladies. They, they, they're definitely thinking through these things. And you have the opportunity to step in, to advocate not just for, for the life of the child, but for the life of that mother. And say, I'm going to make time for you. I'm going to pour into you to help you through this time in your life. What a wonderful ministry that is. And it's literally like 200 feet from here. It's right there. If you can be involved in that, I promise the ladies would love to have you be a part of that. There's lots of opportunities here in Rockdale, in my own county. If you, if you need some ideas of where you can get started, I can help you. I want to help you. Because we have to start serving. Because if we don't serve, guys, everything that we do <coughs> dies. And I've mentioned this example before, but the Dead Sea is super salty, right? And that's why nothing lives in it. The reason the Dead Sea is so salty is because the Jordan River flows into it. And as the Jordan River flows, it picks up sediment, you know, sand and silt and everything that's on the bottom. And it picks it up, and there's salt in all of that. There's a little bit of salt in all that, but not much. And so it just goes downstream, and it picks up more and more salt, and it dumps it into the, sea, the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea doesn't go anywhere. It's the end of the line. It doesn't flow into an ocean. And so what happens is the water in the Dead Sea, the only way it disappears is it evaporates out, leaves more salt behind. As time goes forward, it gets saltier and saltier and saltier. But you know what? If you were to dig a channel from the south side of the Dead Sea down to the, you know, whatever, whatever gulf is down there, and you were to dig a channel from there to there, to, from the Dead Sea to that spot there, the Dead Sea would all of a sudden be full of life. Because there's an outlet for the water. Because the salt can go away, because everything can go out, life will come back to that spot. There's a lot of churches in America that have spent a lot of time being dead seas where everything's come in. They've heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, and it's never led anywhere. And it stops at the person in the pew. And as it stops there, what happens is it all builds up and the church dies from the inside. But if we dig a channel out, if we have service going out of us, as we give of ourselves out, life comes back. Some of you are spiritually dry and dead inside, and it's because you are giving nothing to anyone. And you've been poured into for decades, and you're not giving anything to anyone. And you've got a lot of dead Christians in a place, and you know what? That place is going to look dead. For your own sake... For your own good, serve other people. Let life come back to you. And if you need a spot to serve, I can get you a spot to serve in this church, in this community. We need you. We need you to serve. Let's pray.